Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. And welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. It's good to hear all of you out there, or at least in my head, I can hear all of you cheering us on, even if you are mostly rolling your eyes at me right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm rolling my eyes over here. I don't know how well you can hear that. Hear my eyes rolling. <laughs> we are mighty. But back into Seize the GM. And you're listening along, and so the great news is we realized that we'd let you down, fans. Normally, once a year, we like to have a library show. And, well, life happened, things got busy. It's been two years, so it's time for our fourth library show. And Zen, Jules, for people who have not been with us before, what are we talking about? The thing is that as a GM... You don't have to get your inspiration just from the source books that you have. You can get inspiration from everywhere and anywhere. Manga, comics, great pieces of art if at a gallery or something. So what we're trying to do is uh, give you guys some of the things that we've used or we like or that might have helped us uh, past, present, or maybe hopefully future, depending. Uh, and see sometimes where we can get like other ideas or... Um, uh, either that or just like books or advice on how to create or how to, you know, give you guys a better gaming experience. So, you know, it's like inspiration and knowledge is not just in the source books. <clears throat> that is very true. One of the big things that I always say with these is these are the books that would normally go on a regular bookshelf that you just happen to also use when you're working on your games. Mm -hmm. Because that's how it should be. You shouldn't be tied it gets, to... Yeah, it gets stale. It's material that's provided or whatever. So yeah, there's... The thing is that you can get inspiration from some of the vignettes and some of the source books, but there might be a... There, there might be a, a work of Shakespeare that you you want to, it's like, ooh, this will be a real, you know, let's just put it this way. It's just like we had Romeo and Juliet, and years and years and years and years and years into the future, we had West Side Story. Yeah. So we we wouldn't have West Side Story and some of the, the cool jazz tap gang fight things without Romeo and Juliet. Being a GM means being a well-rounded and educated person. And so finding inspiration in books and media that are not the gaming books is an important part. 
And at the end of the doodly-doo, you can see some of the books we've mentioned before, as well as links to episodes 8, 25, and 53, where we'd previously done this. But for now, to kick us off. You're starting. (laughs) I was going to say our intrepid leader, but if you insist. Indeed. All right. The first thing I'm going to recommend is actually a graphic novel. And we've talked a lot about how to take concepts, tropes, inspiration, and use it in a unique way to to honor material, but also make it something that you feel some kind of ownership on with your group. So I'm going to recommend to you the four graphic novel series, Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. It's by Val Jensen and Dusty Higgins, and it takes an alternate look at the tale of Pinocchio, complete with vampires, a love story, and, and an excellent example of taking that known concept and weaving a fresh mythology around it. It takes archetypal characters you don't realize you're familiar with from traditions that you've forgotten and uses them in ways that can really inspire you and tell a compelling story built around what you know about Pinocchio, little boy made out of wood whose nose grows when he tells a lie and puts vampires in there. Imagine the Scooby-Doo movie from like 15, 20 years ago done well. And that's kind of the thing you can get out of it. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I own this one. I'm going to have to buy it now, darn it. There's an omnibus. Oh, okay. The link should be to the omnibus and the doodly-doo. But yeah, it's four small graphic novels. It is is a digestible chunk, but I do recommend taking some time between each volume because those of us who bought it as it came out, there's a a benefit to having a little bit of waiting between some of these story beats. Or I just want you to feel the same kind of gnawing at your fingers that I did. Yeah. That's one of the things that I used to love so much about reading comics regularly uh, before the lockdowns and everything was that you could sit down and and read just one and wait. But I got really bad at that. I would just hold on to them until I had about six of them. And binge them. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, and I do that with all of my comics, so... I'm horrible for comic reading like regularly. I actually just picked up my last stuff and I've got like 12 sitting over there that I have to read now. Well, Zen, what's your first book? So my first book is actually based on something for writers specifically. And it's called the Gazetteer Writer's Manual. And it's by Deborah Christian and Bruce Hurd, which are yes. both game people. It was written as a, you can totally use this to write your story. You can also use this to write your game world. <laughs> so if you want to write up like a gazetteer for your world, this is a great book. Take the time to read it. It is literally a world builder's primer in one book. Everything I'm going to have to. Was I'm going to have to pick it up just because Bruce Hurd is, is my favorite world designer and, and story builder ever, um, and so yeah, that's this is this is at the top of my list now. Yeah, you know, since we all kind of do some of this in 
all of our games, this is one of those great books to have that you just keep around. And, you know, you might not use all of it, but you might use some of it for one game. And then for another game, you use the whole thing. And I don't believe that there's a print copy available, but there might be. Um, I actually got it as a as a Kindle book because it was easy to find and I could then start reading it right away. So, but that's how I did it. Uh, Jules, what you got? All right. The first one, um, I, I, and like the awesomeness of, of literary, I decided to go with Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind watercolor impressions. Um, everyone knows I'm a huge Miyazaki fan. And these are concept sketches that Miyazaki did in watercolor paintings of the world and creatures and characters from, you know, from Nausicaa. But the thing is that the reason I picked it is you're telling a story. So what I do, and at least what I you know, at least what I was trying to build up kind of like my chops in, in describing something is I'd look at one of Miyazaki's pictures. And then I would type out, because I'm talking to nobody, and then I'd forget what I said, how I would describe that. And, you know, then I'd set it aside for a couple of days, and then I'd go back and reread what I wrote. And I'm like, okay, what did I, what did I describe very well? What did I gloss over? Why did I focus on this? And also, I mean, his artwork is absolutely stunning. And if you're trying to get an idea for different types of locations, like, you know, maybe a, a creepy forest, smog-choked city, a landscape on fire, his, his stuff can give you some great inspiration. And for me, since it was just art, I tried to take what I saw and what I got from that and then write it out so that way I could describe what I saw to my players. So it was kind of a, you know, it was a way to get inspiration as well as build some of my uh, descriptive chops. So, you know, it's like, you know, hey, there's a river and then there's a bridge. Okay. It doesn't work, but it's like the the river, it, the colors shimmer as the speed of the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The more graphic you can get, and then you can find the right words to kind of give, you know, cold and frigid. I kind of have like a different undertone. So that's sure. why I picked it. Nice. So, nice. all right, what do we got next? Give us, give us some more awesome stuff to put in our brains. Well, okay, I'll go ahead and, you know, keep the circle going and, and keep it quick. You also have probably picked up that I have some eclectic tastes and tend to like read a whole lot of highbrow nonfiction stuff. So, Next, I'm recommending to you Tension City from Jim Lehrer. It is a first-person look at United States presidential debates from Kennedy, Nixon, through Obama, McCain. Jim Lehrer was the moderator of nearly a dozen presidential debates, and he looked at the, the, what he called the, quote, Tension City, in which each of the candidates is living, as well as his personal impressions and observations that you know a veteran newsie can provide. And 
for gaming purposes. This provides a great example of how different organizations and people can react under high tension and high pressure. Looking at these high-stake moments and things that you may actually have seen and remember seeing what happened on stage and seeing and reading about what happened backstage could help you flesh out how you describe a game world or how you put into place certain adventure or ideas. Ooh. Wicked. That's, yeah, that's... I have a signed copy. Okay, I'm jealous. <laughs> of course you do. I'm so ready jealous. That's a good one. Yeah, especially because you love to do like the political and um I like the political and the intrigue-based games. I like those kinds of social games. I almost um, put, instead of that, the uh, actual uh, United States Manual and Guide to Etiquette and uh, kind of related topics that a former UN ambassador has written. But I decided that that would be a little not as helpful as Tension City. But it's actually purely functional. How do you address these letters to people and, and how do you design the, the, you know, seating layouts and the cards that go on the seats. And it is a very practical and useful book. Sure. Okay. Well, that's cool. So then, yeah, yeah, we'll go from political debates and, and what it looks like on the inside to. Okay. So anybody that knows me knows that I love, Myth, yeah, the Norse mythology. Oh, you and I geek out on that a lot. Yeah, I do. Um, and I actually got a chance to. I don't. I don't have a copy of it, but I listened to because I use my library, which you should all use, to be able to listen to the audiobook of the Neil Gaiman Norse mythology. So I personally have read a few different interpretations and translations of the Eddas and the sagas. While these stories are not literal translations of those texts, they are a few of the stories that he's handpicked out of them. And not all of them are ones that people would immediately recognize as a Norse myth. Now, he does do the big one that everyone always does, which is Ragnarok. Uh. <laughs> he does a lot of other ones that are very interesting. Now, he embellishes parts because he's a storyteller and he's telling the story. Which is great. So if you have, use it as that. If you get a chance to read like the original translated texts of any of these and then read the Gaiman story, you will see that there's, there is an actual love that they have that when he was writing it, where he was, he was adding parts to the actual characters and making them more lively than the original Eddas might be. 
in some regards. So if if you really do like those old original stories, this is one that you should really check out. And even if you don't, because it's written with a more modern perspective rather than a literal translation, it can give you great myth ideas to include in a game or as part of your world building because myths exist for a reason. So, there you go. Spiffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've read it, and I have the audiobook both, and the, it's 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 really interesting also, because hearing it and reading it, you kind of digest it differently, so I love yeah. it. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm up next. Uh, mine is... Uh, Armageddon Quest. <laughs> oh my lord. Uh, I'll be honest, Zippy read this way, 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 way back in the days and uh, recommended it to me uh, maybe a year or two ago. I mean, I'd seen it, but here's the thing. I don't know if you, get, you guys, if you've seen like Good Omens on Amazon, uh, similar premise, but uh, extremely different execution. It's a graphic novel, and it's at, and it, the story is about the actual Antichrist. And pretty much, um, he's like, I don't want to bring about Armageddon. I don't want to be the Antichrist. I hate this. Ah, and it's his struggle and fight against what's supposed to be his destiny. It's There's twists in there that you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see it coming. Then you flip back like a bajillion pages, like, oh, my gosh, you know. It's kind of like you, you, those seeds that were playing. You see them a lot in like Doctor Who episodes. And then you're like, you f- go back and you're like, oh my gosh, they did reference it or stuff's up. Or you might see it also in like Futurama, like episode one, you see the shadow of Nibbler. But you don't realize it until you get back there. And then you want to like stop and go back and reread it so you can kind of see where it's going. And it's actiony and it's gripping. It's, and it's not, you know, it's not surfacey kind of like, you know, it it really it really dives deep, and there's a I, I was really um, really impressed with the characterization of the Antichrist who goes by Tazio. So you know, and I like that almost everything that happens in there that you might see is almost a throwaway. Everything's deliberate. Uh, one drawback is the art is rough. Um, I mean, you're not going to get like. You know, th- this isn't like super amazing X-Men level of, of art. It's kind of rough in the beginning, but it, as the story improves, uh, as the story goes on, the art improves. And, you know, I, you know, uh, I picked up the uh, three volume, uh, the three volume set and I, I enjoyed it. I just wasn't expecting something like this. I mean, yes, I've read Sandman. Yes, I've read Lucifer and Hellblazer and stuff like that. But this one, this was heavier in a different way. And I'm warning you guys that it's not—it's not a uh, a quick read. It's 900 pages. So, and the thing is that since it's graphic, you got to kind of you know, yes, you can read the words, but you also have to kind of really also take in the the art, though. So, I, mean, I enjoyed it, and it, it's it's probably one of the most unique takes on like. You know, trying to stop Armageddon and the Antichrist doesn't want to be the Antichrist. It's 
I, I loved it. So cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. And the nice thing, it also shows how you can get, let's just put it this way. You can have a sympathetic gripping protagonist that doesn't follow the, you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America, Paragon of Good. You know, I always find those characters that are, you know, they follow their own kind of code and they struggle with it. I always found those more interesting. So this also might help you come up with some interesting ways of characterization. So nice. <laughs> All right, I'll stop rambling. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Gordemage, what's your last one? To round it out, I go back to my childhood. It is a book called Trouble for Trumpets by Peter Cross and Peter Dallas Smith. Now, I may be skirting, you know, the rules by having two books that have lots of pictures here. But Trouble for Trumpets is a book that brought me a huge amount of joy and creativity as a child. You see, the trumpets are preparing themselves for an invasion from the grumpets as summer turns to winter. And the combination of unforgettable paintings and evocative story, as simple as it may be, is just gleeful. And the level of detail and kind of breakdown of everything that are in these paintings is part of what made it so remarkable. Uh, it's a unique fantasy world that will keep you wondering what you're not seeing. And if you can find a copy, get one. But an original hard copy of the book is out of my price range. Uh, but you may be able to find a reprint paperback edition from the late 80s if you hunt through Amazon far enough. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I'm going to have to look this up because it's familiar and I don't know why. <laughs> no, because it, it, I, I don't remember reading it, but it's, it's familiar and I, gotta, I have to look it up now. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm kind of on a retelling of the classics kick this time. And that is The Once and Future King by T.H. White. This thing is considered a masterpiece for a reason. Um, if you want to include Arthurian legend elements, then you have to read this book. It's not the entire legend of, you know, all of the legends of King Arthur, because one book can't do that. <laughs> but it's what you need to get started. It also has really great moments in it, and it really does help you understand the legends themselves. So this is one of those books that if you want to understand myths, legends, all of that, there's, there's several that are retellings of the originals. And this is just one of them. He has many others where he talks about other elements of Arthurian legends and different legends themselves in other books. This is just one of a series. And for that reason, 
getting in at one point, this gives you all of the the Arthur legends kind of in a nutshell. The core of them. And that's what you need for the the core of that legend uh, saga. And so that's why you should try to read something like this. Because those are important and they do help define what it means to be legendary. So, or at least I think so. Hmm. So, I'm what gonna have to reread that. I, I haven't read it in so long. I might get more out of it now. That's I kind of was the same way. Like I read it a few years ago, and I was looking at this, and I'm like, God, I really need to include that. So, but yeah. Uh, so, what do you got to round us out and bring it home? All right. <laughs> Uh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? Um, I, I granted, I, I am not as immersed and polished as Gardemanger, but I love Shakespeare, and I got introduced to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's a play by Tom Stoppard, and it's probably one I, I saw. It, it's on DVD, so if you don't want to read the play, I recommend reading it because the play, reading the play is better. But uh, because it, there's a little bit of changes in, in certain cadences and stuff, but uh, they also do have it as a movie, and it's amazing because it's the trifecta of Gary Oldman, Tim Roth, and um, Richard Dreyfus as the three main characters. But it's pretty much it takes place inside of Shakespeare's play Hamlet. It's intrigue, and I'm going to, well, intrigue, philosophy, rapiers, blood, love, and rhetoric. And it's probably one of the coolest things of, you know, a play within a play or the dream within a dream. We've all seen Inception. This is even, this is incredibly brilliant and has so many different levels of what it goes into. And then the nice thing also about it is it's taking place as the story of Hamlet, as the play of Hamlet is happening. So it shows you can tell an amazing, entertaining and gripping story inside a predefined universe, inside a predefined world. And as you tell that story, nothing that happens in that messes up the canon of what happens in Hamlet. And there are just so many memorable quotes. You know, I'm sorry. I still use a conspiracy of cartographers frequently. Or uh, the quote I actually have on my uh, outpoc on my email uh, as my signature is like, a man talking sense to himself is no matter than a man talking nonsense not to himself. So there you have it. Stark raving sane. <laughs> There's great wordplay, great quotes. And the nice thing about it is... Rosencrantz and Guildenstern slip into and out of the in the actual scenes of of the whole story, which I find, you know, so they'll be having their own little little bit, and then all of a sudden something happens, and they're in, you know, they're they're talking to to Hamlet as like, 
and I know which way the wind is blowing kind of a thing. And it's almost seamless because the speech cadence when they're in and out of scene changes, but it does. But when the scene changes, there's no like super shaky over changing. It kind of, it's almost like a hiccup or a skip, but it still flows. So if you want to see what it, what you can do, it's like, it's like, Oh, I don't want to I have to build my whole world. It's like, there's a couple of interesting worlds out there. If you want to see a genius way of doing it, check that out. One of my favorite plays ever in Stoppard is absolutely one of my favorite playwrights. That's a fantastic choice. And asking the question of what happens when characters who are supposed to be the best friends of the main character who have all of 10 lines aren't on stage. And like Jewel said, how do you exist in a world where you don't have to know everything is a really intriguing question. It does ask. And it actually has probably one of the most, I guess for me, thoughtful lines in it. It's like, we are actors. We're the opposite of people. We do things on stage, which are supposed to happen off, which is a kind of integrity. If you look on every exit as an entrance somewhere else. And it's kind of cool if you think about it, cause that actually can be brought up into GMing. It's like, yeah, your players are doing something, but there's also stuff happening over there. Yeah. So, sorry, it's like I have, I have, gosh, I've almost memorized that whole thing. So, <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> so, I think that gives you guys nine things to check out. So, go pick them up, get copies, read them before the next library episode. Which maybe in a year. year. I think might be in a year. Maybe we'll do one sooner to make up for taking two years. But when you get them and take a look at them, drop us a line on social media and let us know what you think. Do you think that we hit the mark? Did you find things to use in them? Because we are all over the social media. There are Instagrams and Twitters and Facebooks and of course Discord. The Discord server. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Patreon and all of those good things. But before we check out for the evening or afternoon or morning or whenever you happen to be listening to us, Zen, what do you have to take us home? All right. So go check out October Pod. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It is a really cool show. It's a YouTube show. Mm -hmm. Um, and they are so, so nice. Um, anytime I am on Twitter and posting something, they always retweet like they're awesome, awesome, awesome folks. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they really like the creepy stuff. It, it's not, it's say, not gory, but it's like it's super scary. Yeah, give it a watch. You will not regret it. So <laughs> definitely go check it out. Mm-hmm. All right, Jules, what do you got? All right. <clears throat> well, the thing is, like, uh, in, in doing and going through the books, I, I kind of wanted to go back to some of the, the – and to bring a little bit of, of mystic and whimsy back into – because life's been bananas, and we kind of need that. Um, I got a deal on Amazon. I picked up every of the, the entire Rudyard Clippings anthology, but I want to specifically recommend his Just So stories. They're – you know, it's like, I, I, as Zen had earlier, we had, he's like, oh, all these myths of how this and that happened. The Rudyard Kipling, just, are, 
pretty much like that. They're they're myths of like how the hamel how the camel got his hump, stuff like that. And it's it's kind of fun because you're hearing like, oh, these are stories of how like certain natural things happen, but they're kind of they kind of have like a little bit of moral to them. They're and they're short. They're not these huge long long bits. And you know, there's a bit of whimsy to them and just you know, I remember reading them as as a kid, reading them as adult, and I always enjoyed them. So I recommend, you know, you can get the whole anthology for like two bucks on Amazon. So, nice. Yeah, I mean, check it out. The he, he wrote a whole bunch of other stuff. I got into it because of the Just So stories. So, you know, it's like sometimes you you just want to. It's just like, why is the sky blue? And then you get a really cool, interesting story, you know. So it's, I, I enjoyed it. And I think sometimes we just need the, you know, well, what if? So. Yeah. And yeah. Garda Manger, what have you got for us, sir? Well, to be honest, we're recording this in a period of time that's a little out of whack. We've got in the midst of a pandemic going on and, and what it does or doesn't take to get through it. And at the same time, in the United States, we have widespread protests. Emotions are running high, and for good reasons. But you listeners don't overlook self-care. It's okay to unplug for a couple of hours. It's okay to take a nap. Make sure that you are able to keep functioning. Because right now, just making it to the next day is a success. And we want all of you to have many of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's the thing. Don't feel bad about what you have to do to take care of yourself. You know, it's, you know, take, it's put on your own atrogen mask before you put on any help, anyone else with theirs. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So, we are going to get out of here. You guys all have a great two weeks. And we will see you again for another, uh, I guess you would say, staple show. oh god we're all gonna explode so until next time folks have fun try to relax and roll some dice and have some fun yeah Contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GuardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. 
or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of CCGM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage www.seizethegm.com Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.